your Bibles to 1 Peter. Happy New Year to all of you. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. And wanted to give uh, a huge thanks to uh, Fabiano for giving the message last week. Um, and to all of the deacons and everybody else who played a part in making sure everything went well last week as we enjoyed our, our time away. Um, and the last couple of weeks, I have... Uh, been spending some time after we've kind of finished the holidays. I was spending some time searching on what uh, the next series was going to be about. And so uh, after much prayer and uh, some discussions with, with Janet, I think I, I have a, a direction on which to go. I, I was thinking on a couple of other uh, places in the Old Testament, and um, but didn't quite didn't quite seem seem right. But then after time praying and reading with Janet, I think we came across to First Peter. First Peter is what we're going to be studying um, in this this coming the start of this year. And so, as I said, Happy New Year, the year 2021, all over social media. People are rejoicing that 2020 is over. Anybody else here rejoicing 2020 is over? Um, we were toasting in the new year as a family, and we were like, well, you know what, 2020 couldn't have been all that bad. And Ariana reminded me, oh, yeah, if you were going to graduate this year, it was a terrible year. Uh, but we started to think about all of the other good things that happened this year. And uh, we all named some things, and the Dodgers won the World Series. So <laughs> all is well. All is well. Um, but it's interesting to see all of the conversations about, I'm so glad 2020 is over, 2021. Um, as I was thinking uh, about that, I was thinking, how does this, the change of one digit on the calendar really change anything? Maybe it kind of gives us something. Maybe we can put that out of our mind and we can look forward to something else. Um, but the same, same things are still happening in the world. The same people are still in charge. The same problems are happening all over the earth. Just the, the, the turning the page of, of a calendar doesn't, uh, doesn't quite solve it, does it? How do we face this coming future? I think that's behind a lot of this is turning the, the calendar is that maybe there's a little bit of hope for the future, hope for what's coming next. We can kind of put some of the bad stuff behind us and we can look forward to what is ahead. Um, but our hope in the future has to be something more substantial than flipping the page on a calendar. So this, this uh, coming series in 1 Peter seems to fit that really well because the theme one of the main themes of 1 Peter is hope. Hope for the future. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm kind of titling this series, Hope for Exiles and Joy for Sojourners. I think that captures the essence of Peter's first letter to these churches. Hope for exiles 
and joy for sojourners. I want to bring out a couple of key terms that are in this letter of 1 Peter. But before we do, let me, let me read for us the first couple of verses. Let me read verses 1 through 5. And then we'll kind of do a little survey of the whole book. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the reading of God's word. We say, thanks be to God. First Peter is a very fascinating book. It deals with, as we said, as I said earlier, hope for the future. Joy for those who are sojourners and exiles. And is a, a book that helps Christians to deal with suffering in this world. As a matter of fact, the term suffering occurs 11 times. How we conduct ourselves in the world, in the midst of a world that is causing suffering for Christians. The title for the words for behavior or conduct or way of life occurs six times. God is mentioned 32 times, 39 times. Christ mentioned 22 times. The Holy Spirit, uh, eight times. A large vocabulary of terms there are reminding God's people, reminding us of who we are, that we are strangers or foreigners, and that we are in exile. He uses that term several times in this present world. And the word hope appears five times in this letter. And there are a number of references, one of them we have already made, read, that point to our hope that we have in our future, our future inheritance and our future glory. One commentator puts it this way. The emphasis of this epistle, then, is to teach believers how to live victoriously in the midst of hostility without losing heart, without wavering in faith, without becoming bitter, realizing where your hope is, realizing who your Savior is, and always looking forward to the glorious coming of Christ when all suffering will cease. Couldn't think of, really, a better book to address here at the beginning of a new year that deals with the hope that we have in our future. So no matter what we could face in 2021, 
we have a hope that is grounded not in just the date, the digits of a year. First Peter was filled with famous verses, so I'm going to invite you to, to flip through here with me. In chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. He's citing Leviticus 11 here. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. A little bit further down in verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation, or day of visitation. A little bit further in chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Another very famous passage. Verse 24 and 25, speaking of Jesus Christ, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Peter here echoing from Isaiah. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What a description of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Verse 19, we have this unusual verse in uh, Peter's gospel where he talks about Jesus going and proclaiming to the spirits in, in prison. We'll get to that in due time. First Peter is one of only three places in all of the New Testament that uses the word Christian. Is that a little stunning to think about Christians, Christianity? And to think, wait a second, the New Testament only has the word Christian three times. It's used twice in the book of Acts by Luke. One, it's on the lips of somebody else, so he's quoting them. And the only other time it's used to, is, is here in this letter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Another famous verse. We actually sang that line today. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Familiar verses, aren't they? All of those are in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a relatively short letter, 105 verses. 
So it will only take us about 50 weeks to get through this. <laughs> Maybe shorter. But it is filled with a wonderful and amazing biblical doctrines. Let me review a couple of these for you, some of which you've seen just even in the introduction that we read. We're going to learn about foreknowledge and election. We're going to learn about the blood of Christ. We're going to learn about our eternal inheritance. We're going to look at the evidence for true faith. We're going to look at the essence of salvation. We're going to look at the second coming of Christ. We're going to look at holiness. We're going to look at new birth or regeneration. We're going to look at the scripture and the consuming of scripture and how scripture is necessary for our growth. We're going to look at the priesthood of believers and saints. We're going to look at our responsibility in society. We're going to look at marriage. We're going to look at suffering for righteousness sakes. Say we're going to look at being able to defend our faith. We're going to look at baptism. We're going to look at how God wants to wants us to cast all of our cares upon him. It's a, it's an amazing full loaded letter. And it's so doctrinal, doctrinally grounded. It might be helpful for us to remind ourselves who it is that wrote this letter. This is, as it says there, the first word in verse 1, Peter. Peter. So I want to take a little bit of time and look at the life of Peter. So today, we're, we're only uh, just beginning to look at 1 Peter, uh, but I want us to kind of do a biographical sketch of this man, Peter. First, his name, his Hebrew name is Simeon. He's referred to that in two other places in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Uh, but the Greek form of his name, Simon, is the name that's used most often for him. There's another name that he goes by, and it's uh, Cephas, or, or Cephas. It's usually pronounced Cephas, but we pronounce Cephas. As a matter of fact, John's Gospel shows us how it is that Jesus or excuse me Peter goes from from Simon to Peter in John 1 when he first encounters Peter Peter's brother Andrew brought Peter to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said to him you are Simon the son of John you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And that's the name Paul uses for Peter in 1 Corinthians and Galatians is the, the Cephas one. So here you have Simon. Simeon is his Hebrew name. Simon is the Greek form of that name. That's the one he goes by. Um, and uh, the Aramaic term is, is Cephas, but we know him most often as Peter, the name that Jesus gave him. His occupation was that he was a fisherman. He was married. He had a mother-in-law. 
He was one of the first disciples of Jesus. Peter is the one in Matthew chapter 14 who is who walks on water when Jesus comes out to them on the Sea of Galilee. Peter is one of the 12 apostles. So as the number of Jesus' disciples grew and grew, Jesus had selected out from among them 12 as apostles, the ones he was going to send out with a special commission and authority. Peter was one of those selected with that commission and authority to preach that message. And in all of the lists of the apostles in the Bible, Peter is always first, always listed first. The order switches uh, from uh, uh, version to version, but Peter is always listed first, and actually in Matthew's Gospel it says, at first, Peter. He was kind of um, the teacher's pet, we could say, for Rabbi Jesus. Peter is also listed as an inner circle of the three, Peter, James, and John, who were the one, the three that were invited to go in to raise Jairus' daughter, who was dead. Peter, James, and John are the three that go up onto the mountain with Jesus during the, the transfiguration. Peter ends up being a spokesperson for the group. When the tax collectors come and talk about Inquiring about whether Jesus has paid his taxes, uh, Peter is the one who does the negotiating. Peter is the one who comes to Jesus and asks about forgiveness. How many times shall I forgive? Seven times, he says, which Jesus says no, 70 times seven. Peter is the one who gives this great uh, profession of faith when Jesus asks all of his disciples and the apostles um, who do the people say I am? Well they say you're you know, Elijah come from the dead he's like but who do you say I am? and Peter is the one who steps forward and said you are the Christ the son of the living God. You are the Messiah and it's that profession Jesus says that becomes the foundation of the church Peter is the only one, the only individual in the New Testament among his followers who actually had the nerve to try and correct and rebuke Jesus. You remember this? Matthew chapter 16, right after that amazing profession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says... And he begins to, to te teach the disciples that he now has to go to Jerusalem and that he has to suffer many things at the hand of the elders and the chief priests. He was letting them know he was going to have to experience crucifixion, that he was going to be killed, and that he was also going to be raised on the third day. And Peter, when Jesus says this, Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him, it says. Can you imagine? <laughs> kind of have a little respect for Peter here. I think Peter we can identify because he's he's ambitious and he's but he's also a little over the top in some places. 
he begins to rebuke Jesus and he says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Peter is also the one who vows that no matter what happens, even when Jesus said, in fulfillment of, of prophecy, hey, like they, they're going to strike the, the shepherd and the, the sheep will be scattered. He goes, you guys are all going to scatter. And Peter steps forward. He goes, no, I vow that will never happen. And he corrects Jesus again. Jesus, is, uh, Jesus takes Peter with him in that inner circle again into the garden of Gethsemane the night before that he is, he is going to be crucified. And he asks them to pray for him, to be up with him and to pray for him and with him as his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow with what he was about to experience. And Jesus goes away to pray and then comes back and finds Peter sleeping. Peter, who had vowed, I will never leave you. Even if all of these other guys will leave you, I will never leave you. And he couldn't even stay awake. Peter is the one that Jesus restores after his resurrection from the dead. Peter ends up becoming a leader in the early church. He's a main figure in Acts, in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. Let me just review a couple of other things that Peter, Peter did. Acts chapter 1, he's the one who steps forward when Judas had betrayed Jesus and had terminated himself. Peter's the one who steps forward and goes, we need to have a full complement of 12. We need to replace Judas. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost, just as Jesus said would happen, and as people were wondering about the signs and everything that was, that was happening... Peter is the one, as the leader of all of these apostles, he steps forward and he preaches that magnificent sermon in Acts chapter 2, explaining the meaning behind all of this. And 3,000 people are converted to Christians that day. Peter and John do what Jesus said that they would do. They would do the things that he himself had done, and they start healing in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. When they are arrested and detained by the authorities and are told, you must not preach this man, Jesus. Peter's the one who stepped forward in all courage and boldness and said, we will obey God rather than men. You, you cannot tell us not to speak about Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, he's the one who confronts Simon the sorcerer who wanted to use his money to buy this spiritual power that the apostles had. He's the one who confronts Ananias and Sapphira for their, their uh, deception. Whom God killed in front of Peter in his presence and in front of the church. In Acts chapter 9, he's the one who heals uh, Aeneas. He's the one who raises Dorcas from the dead. And in Acts chapter 10 and 11, in a very significant moment, where up to this point, it had only been um, 
It had only been Jews or converts to Judaism who were Christians. And that the question was kind of, do you have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian? Peter gets this revelation from God. And through this interaction with Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who receives Christ and then receives the Holy Spirit. He's the one who brings the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter. Probably no one ever was as close to Jesus as Peter was. He wrote not only these two letters here, but he was also um, probably the, a great deal of the source material for uh, Mark's gospel, who Mark who was, a, who was a, a ministry associate of his. Peter, uh, through church history, we have a story of his, uh, of his martyrdom. This comes to us from the New Testament Apocrypha, and so we don't, this is not a, a, a scriptural source, it's not inspirational, uh, breathed out inspired scripture, but we have from church history um, the traditional uh, story of his martyrdom, and that he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he would be worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. This is Peter. Some 30 years after first being called by Christ, Peter writes this letter to these Christians. And he was preparing them for suffering. He was preparing them for the hope of the future resurrection. The one who rebuked Jesus for saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things before he can enter into his glory is now here 30 years later sharing what he learned. The one who rebuked Peter, excuse me, the, the one who rebuked Jesus for saying suffering was necessary to enter into our hope of glory is now telling these Christians what Jesus had told him. So I'm very excited to get to this book of 1 Peter. We're going to learn about Jesus, from the man who knew Jesus best on earth. But let me let me end here, close with this quote from one commentator, Edmund Clowney. Our deepest needs drive us to our deepest beliefs. Now, he's, he's writing this here in context of this, this letter. 
as Peter is addressing the needs of these Christians who are experiencing a great deal of difficulty and hardship and are uncertain about the future and are losing hope. And Peter steps forward to encourage them with all that he has learned from his master and his Lord Jesus. And this letter is filled with all of this precious and tremendous doctrines that undergird the hope that we are to have. And so this commentator says, our deepest needs for hope in the midst of trials and suffering drive us to our deepest beliefs. What hope do we have? He continues. Peter proclaims Jesus Christ our sure hope now and forever. Throughout this letter, he grounds our hope in the reality of what God has done and will yet do for us through Christ. The Apostle Peter is a witness, not just to what Jesus did and said while he was in a fishing boat or in his house, but to the meaning of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We're going to learn about Jesus and hope in the midst of suffering from the man on earth who knew him best. He's going to encourage us on how to face the future as exiles with hope and how to be sojourners with joy. Let's pray again. Our Heavenly Father, We want to thank you, God, for your word. And as we approach this study in 1 Peter, we're grateful for the glimpses that we've already seen in this letter. We want to thank you for the way in which you have called, especially called, and gifted and appointed Peter for the task that he had. What a blessing it would have been for Peter to have walked on the earth with your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. To have been a firsthand eyewitness of Jesus' miraculous works. To be a first-hand hearer of Jesus' teachings. And what a special privilege it is for us that we actually have words written down by him that is directed not just to Christian exiles in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, but that Peter is writing to us. 
about the hope that we have in our future because of the cross and resurrection and coming again of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we ask your blessing upon our study of this book in the coming weeks and months. And may you use it to ground us in a hope that is not based in the changing of the calendar, but is based on the eternal inheritance that we have as your people. So God, we ask you would speak to us through what we've read today and what we are reading in the coming weeks, that you encourage us, equip us as your believers as exiles in this world. And we pray all of this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Friends, will you stand for our, our closing benediction today? Now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. And also with you.